continue the series. So, as we uh, continue looking at the events of the last days and the return of our Lord to restore the kingdom to Israel and to rule over the whole earth, we've covered a lot of issues and concepts. And in relating to that preparation for these things, if they should happen in our lifetime, our children or grandchildren, we must also be prepared for the actual challenges that we face now, even if they are only birth pangs of the end time. Last year I had you look at these things, uh, and I asked you to read three books on the subject of anti-Semitism. Those books looked at the dynamics and history of anti-Semitism. They documented the types of persecution and hatred of Jews that came from the political left perspective and the political right perspective, and also, God forgive us, from the church. This year we're reading two books on the present culture war in our own time. And as you read those books, you'll be given the opinion of the authors, and in this series I will share my own perspective on these things, really beginning today. Now, I want you guys to know that I appreciate the struggle many are having in separating the political and the biblical issues from our identity as American citizens and as disciples of the Lord. Because those lines do blur. And I have held back and held back actually till what was going to be last week, but I decided to do that message. So we're really doing the message that would have come last week, this week. Uh, so let me try to express this clearly because... Um, I'm going to be changing my tenor somewhat. I have friends and colleagues who have who are exist in varying degrees of being left of center politically, and also those who tend to be more liberal in their theology and their theological perspectives. And many of them see the biggest threat to American culture and people and for believers as coming from the right. And they believe that the popular and nationalist views paired with fundamentalist religious zeal is an imminent danger. I also have friends and colleagues who are on varying degrees of being right of center politically and who tend to be conservative theologically. And many of those see the biggest threat to America's culture and people and us believers as coming from the left and believe that socialism, globalism, and progressive ideology is the immediate danger. Now, the dangers and threats from far-right fascism and from far-left communism are historical 20th century facts. Both are still real threats, and the pain and suffering that they have both demonstrated is incalculable. My own view is that both represent real and present dangers and threats, but and hear me clearly, I believe that the most threatening challenge in the American cultural war is presently coming from the left. Now, I'm not asking you to agree with me about this, or I don't want you to hear me say that the right is not a threat. It is a threat. But the left is a greater problem now, and I'm going to give you my two reasons for that. First, the founders of America saw centralized government as a problem. And they believed government was necessary. So they created a system that would draw on democratic and republic structures 
that maintained a system of checks and balances that would limit government to essential functions necessary for the survival of the people and the states. Remember, we are the United States. <clears throat> Decentralization was used to avoid excessive power in a few hands. They attempted to bring about a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, which actually was a government that was subject to the people. And primary to that system was the right of religious freedom, assembly, and speech. Now, while that system is bogged down in our history of political struggles, I believe the left is directly attempting to replace this system and those freedoms with a centralization and a consolidation of power within the elites of government, the elites of business, the elites of technology, and to some extent the elites of the military. The political right is trying to fight this, but they're doing it by means of the elected government officials and the courts, which means they're also using this elite system. So a successful outcome, in my opinion, is doubtful, because the political right is also generally made up of elites. And the American system itself has become the target of the left in this culture war. So that's my reason for thinking that they're the greatest threat, at least my first reason. My second reason for this perspective is that the biblical prophecies seem to express the events of the end in a centralized, global, and oppressive direction. Nationalism and its oppression has been the way of the world's past with wars and rumors of wars ever since Babel, with, with uh, totalitarian people rising up, taking control, trying to take over the world, but not doing that. But the end-time events that we have looked at involve the nations beginning to unite under a single figure who promises peace but makes war against Israel and the disciples from the nations. That is not individual nationalism as we have seen and what many are afraid of. So the direction of the left is consistent with the biblically predicted in at the present time. Now, of course, there may be a switch towards a far-right direction in America itself, and we have to watch for that. But my understanding of the culture is that that is less of a concern at this point. Now, I do understand that Jews and blacks in America are more sensitive to the threats from the right. And I listen to hear their warnings because I want to be aware of that. But people who have been victimized sometimes watch for repeats of that same thing and don't often see the immediate threats that are happening. Now, I've asked you to read the book Live Not By Lies. The intent of that book is not to diminish the danger that comes from the right, but to alert us to a threat from the left, which is more subtle and in some sense more devious. So I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 7 to 16, because I want you to see something that I think needs to be part of our understanding of this dynamic. So in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, we read this. 
The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, this verse is critical, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. And we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through the gospel, that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort, give us hope and grace by hope, comfort and strengthen our hearts in every good work and word. Now this text has the apostle telling us that this lawless one, the Antichrist at the end, the false Messiah, if you will, will be revealed and then destroyed by the coming of the Lord. We've looked at the sequence of that events, and behind all of that is Satan with his power and signs and false wonders. Let me remind you that Satan will not come as evil or as menacing. He will come as an angel of light and of goodness in order to deceive. And he will use lies and deceive those who do not receive the love of the truth, which brings salvation. Now we're told here that as we approach the end times, God will send a deluding influence on the unbelievers so that they will believe what is false. And the Greek word here means a conscious and intentional lie. I want you to catch the importance of this. In the same way that Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart, after Pharaoh could no longer harden it. In the same way, God will cause the world and the unbelievers to believe a lie so that they will be fully judged as rejecting the truth which is in God. So Paul tells the believers that they have been called out of this world into the kingdom to come. They must stand firm and hold to the traditions taught by the mouths of the apostles and their writings. Now the book Live Not by Lies, draws on the experience of Orthodox and Catholic Christians in the communist takeover of Russia and what became known as the former Soviet Union. It tells of the house congregations and the network of cells that formed the underground church, which resisted the Soviet regime, which had control over the visible government and the visibly controlled Orthodox Church. 
It tells of a persecution of the believers who suffered as red and white martyrs, that is, by death and by suffering, of the ultimate return of the visible faith after the fall of communism. The book speaks of soft totalitarianism, which many of the survivors of that time have now immigrated to the West, some were exiled to the West, and to the U.S., and they see as coming to America through secular ideologies and systems like critical race theory, cancel culture, and high technology married to the elites in government, the elites in media, the elites in business, and the elites in the academy. They see this coming not by force of an army. Therefore, they're calling this soft totalitarianism. They believe it may come to violence, but it comes through increasing surveillance by technology, artificial intelligence, our cell phones, uh, by the indoctrination of children through the media and the schools, and the silencing of independent voices through what is has been called a moralistic therapeutic deism, which kind of becomes a secular religion of mental health. No longer thinking about good and evil, but thinking about mental health and hate, based on conformity to the protect, so conformity to ask for the protection of the elites and the authorities who know what's best for us, because after all, they're elites, and therefore control our lives. The book also provides guidance for resistance, not prevention. This book suggests that the time for prevention is past, though I don't think that's certain. Resistance is about survival until this passes, if it's a birth pang of the end, or until the end itself, which would be with the coming of the Lord. That resistance is home-based, household-based, Havara-based, house church-based, and involves living by truth rather than conforming to the lies of the elites. Living by truth requires faith and hope beyond the pleasures of this life and the promises of this life. So in the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at soft totalitarianism and its presence in the culture war, and then the requirements of living by truth in a world that believes a lie. And related to that, we have to talk about the difference between the world believing a lie, which can be refuted, if it can be now, and one which is the result of a delusion affected by God, which will not be refuted and cannot be argued in a more humanistic way. This has serious implications for our dialogue about this and with others regarding the gospel and the assessment of politics. If people are blinded either by Satan, as the scripture talks about, or by God, as we see here in this text, we will not be able to reason with them. And this is just, if this is just really stupid ideas, then reason may be able to hold a temporary gain on our immediate future. So this is an issue we also need to talk about. Now, if you haven't read the book yet, please read part one, Soft Totalitarianism, 
for next week. Now, I don't believe that the book tells us what is to come, but only what may come. And I believe it is more than possible, perhaps approaching probable in our present circumstances. And therefore, I believe we have to pray for wisdom. So I'm going to be talking more about this book and the struggle that we are having from the left, because I don't believe that the immediate struggle is with the right. I will watch for that. Uh, and I know that that has been a sensitivity of people of a certain background and persuasion. But I don't think that's where our struggle is. Our struggle is not even Democrat and Republican, though clearly the Democrats are far more to the left than even the elites of the of the Republicans. But I'll tell you this, this struggle is not so much about that as it is about a culture that was supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people, rapidly becoming a culture of the elites and the peasants and the loss of the middle class, which has been a stronghold of this culture. I don't know if that can return, and those who are fighting for that are fighting for a temporary battle because it will not be permanent. Ultimately, these biblical directions will take over. And I don't know where we are in that, so I'm not going to pretend to know that. But I do know that our energy must be focused on kingdom stuff first, and then we can address some of those other things. So I do think we need wisdom in that. Now, I've tried to cover this as quick as I could uh, in a shorter time, because I know we have our business meeting today. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and stop this, and then we'll do Q&A. So, let me stop the recording because it's easier to do Q&A without it.